there is an epidemic affecting children everywhere. Comic books. Comics everywhere. Avengers, Batman, Wonder Woman, and they're in movies now, too. In the real world, there is no good and evil. Enough! I'm reading comics, and no one's gonna stop me. Today, I'm here with Daniel because Adam couldn't make it in, but I didn't want to miss reviewing last week's issue of Batman. Daniel, why don't you say hello? Hey, everyone. It's Christmas Eve, and like I'm assuming most others of the Jewish faith, you know, we had our Chinese food. I think you traditionally have that on Christmas Day. We didn't want to wait. And uh, recording a podcast, that's part of the tradition, right? Right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a podcast. You have to talk. That's part of the... I, I thought you were going to be doing the whole intro thing. <laughs> I wasn't really ready. No, I won't give you too hard a time. Don't worry. Like I said, we're talking about Batman issue 61. And we're going to talk about issue 38 because issue 61 serves as sort of a sequel to a one-shot from earlier in the run. So we'll go through both of those. And if we have time. We'll see how the night goes. We might also do another issue of uh, Scooby-Doo, Scooby Apocalypse. I wanted to do that just to kind of lighten the mood a little bit because these two issues of Batman are very dark. And I also just watched on YouTube, Adam Sandler did a tribute song to Chris Farley. It was really depressing. So, you know, I don't, it's, it's, I'm in a pretty dark place right now. So uh, I want to lighten the mood with some Scooby Apocalypse, but... I also read issue two of Scooby Apocalypse, which is what we'd cover, and it was also pretty dark. So, yeah, who would, who would have thought that a comic book series about the apocalypse would be a little dark? That's fair. That's fair. I kind of shot myself right in the foot with that one. Uh, so maybe what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll review that, and then afterwards maybe watch an episode of classic Scooby-Doo. You know, good guys win in the end. There are no bad guys or monsters, and their plots always get foiled by... You know, kids solve mysteries. So like I said, we're talking about issue 61 today. Issue 60 of Batman actually ended on a cliffhanger. And it's not really going to be relevant for today's issue. But just to give you the background on it, Daniel, in case you're curious. There's another world in the multiverse where Bruce was killed in place of his parents. In that world, Bruce's father, Thomas Wayne, became Batman. In the last issue, that version of Batman, Thomas Wayne, showed up in our world in what appeared to be a villainous role. We don't really know what he's up to. As he approached our Batman, the issue ended. So big cliffhanger, and then all of a sudden we shift gears, and they went into the story that you just read today. That's part of why I wanted to bring you in, because a lot of people didn't like issue 61, but purely because... They wanted to see what happened next. So I thought you could come in. You weren't on the edge of your seat. You didn't come in with any existing expectations. So you can give us sort of a pure view of issue 61. And then just a little more background before we get into it. Issue 61 is the first part of a multi-issue arc, which Tom King, the writer, has called the Nightmares story arc. Nightmares spelled with a K, of course. A series of issues which he says will scrape at the soul of Batman. I think you saw a little bit of that tonight. 
Uh, so like I said, these stories are a diversion from the ongoing story. So we've kind of put a pause on the narrative. We don't get to see what happens. You know, Batman versus Batman. Bruce Wayne versus Thomas Wayne. Probably won't see that for a few weeks. But we'll take these issues on their own and and talk about them. So like I said, to understand issue 61, we have to go back to issue 38. An issue titled The Origin of Bruce Wayne. A lot of us thought this was a one-shot, but issue 61 was a sequel of sorts. With that, let's dive in to issue 38, followed by issue 61 of Batman. Batman issue 38 begins with a recently orphaned child, Matthew, recounting to Bruce Wayne how he came home to find his parents brutally murdered. The child is just like Bruce in some ways. He was born into a wealthy family. He has his own trusted butler. And now, of course, he too is an orphan. The butler refers to the child as Master Bruce. And Matthew explains that this is a joke he had with his father. Matthew respected Bruce Wayne so much, he liked to pretend he was him. After explaining this, he then begs Bruce to tell him, if the pain of losing your parents will ever go away. Bruce responds, I, I wish that I could. I do. But I think it's better to have the truth. To know. It's always there. Scratched into you. As the child breaks down, Taylor, the butler, assures him that everything will be fine, and again refers to him as Master Bruce. Matthew's parents were covered in cuts when they were killed, 37 stabs on the mother and 73 on the father. So Bruce and Commissioner Gordon suspect Zass as the culprit, a sadistic killer who, as he puts it, likes to cut. He also keeps a tally of his kills by cutting scars into his own body. The two fresh wounds on his arm serve as evidence that he was indeed behind the death of Matthew's parents. Batman's interrogation is unsuccessful, and the cameras at Arkham confirm he was in his cell at the time of the murder. Jim Gordon helps Batman find the next clue. The recent cuts on Zass's arm were made using an anonymous letter, copies of which were sent to dozens of prisoners. In the letter, Batman finds clues pointing to an address, 4114 Dennis O'Neill Avenue the house Zass grew up in. There, Batman finds Zass's parents dead, covered in cuts. In the interrogation room again, Batman tells Zass, Whoever did this, they wouldn't have done it if it weren't your parents. If you weren't their son, they'd still be alive. So in that way, you killed them. In response, Zass screams, I cut! and attempts to attack Batman. He is easily stopped with a single punch. Bruce returns to see Matthew once again. Matthew is frustrated, having believed they caught the killer, only to now find out Zass was likely not the one responsible. Bruce promises they will find who did this, and that he will be brought to justice. Bruce and Gordon are at a crime scene, having found another couple brutally murdered. They notice that the arms of both bodies 
have been positioned as though pointing to the time 11.11 on a clock. The fact that there are two people in the same pose and the fact that 11.11 twice can be read as 2-2-2-2 leads Bruce and Gordon to suspect Two-Face. He got out of Arkham a few weeks back, so he may have been the killer while framing Zass. In the middle of the night, Bruce realizes that they are wrong. 222 can be added up to result in 8, which is 2 to the 3rd. Two-Face would never have allowed a 3 into the equation. Someone is trying to emulate Two-Face, and they are making mistakes. Batman realizes they will make this mistake again and likely murder a fourth couple. Batman looks for addresses including 2s, 22s, etc., until he finds one that seems suspicious. Mr. Taylor, Matthew's butler, lives in apartment 2202. Batman appears at his door, and Taylor makes a run for it, diving out his own window, hoping to die rather than face justice. Of course, with his grappling hook, Batman is able to stop the fall. Taylor confesses. He killed Matthew's parents for their money. Bruce breaks the news to Matthew and assures him, Please, I know you're scared, but it's okay to be scared. It means you get the chance to be brave. Matthew thanks Bruce and says that he hopes after all this, he can be just like Bruce. The scene ends with Matthew reflecting that if he can be like Mr. Wayne, I think that'd be just great. At dinner that night, it occurred to Bruce that this whole plot, killing Matthew's parents, blaming it on Zass, then on Two-Face, was all a little silly. It was all, as Bruce puts it, childish. Batman finds Matthew at the gravestone of his parents. Matthew has crossed out the names of his parents and in their place has written the names of Bruce Wayne's parents, Thomas and Martha. Batman explains that upon a second interrogation of the butler, Mr. Taylor confessed that Matthew loved Bruce Wayne and wanted to be Bruce Wayne. So much so that he ordered his butler to murder his own parents. Earlier, Bruce had told Matthew that after the death of your parents, the pain is permanently scratched into you. Matthew has taken this literally, as when he turns to face Batman, we see the names Thomas and Martha carved into his face. Batman tries to tell Matthew that he is sick, that he needs help, but Matthew doesn't listen. Instead, he shouts about how the pain of his parents' death will inspire him to do good for Gotham. He yells, I'm Master Bruce, and I will never stop fighting for the light, for Gotham, for Mommy and Daddy. Bruce responds firmly, Stop it. You're not Bruce Wayne. You're a sick kid with dead parents. The child responds, Well, yes, but, but what else is Bruce Wayne? Bruce returns home after the confrontation. The expression on his face tells us he is shaken. Matthew, with a smile on his face, is restrained and taken to his cell. 
That ends issue 38, and now we move on to issue 61. The issue opens with a young Bruce Wayne standing over the bodies of his dead parents as the killer runs away. We know something is off when Commissioner Gordon recounts the crime to Batman himself on the rooftop where they usually meet. Somehow, Batman is investigating the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne as though he existed at the same time as a young Bruce. The young Bruce Wayne finds Batman in his parents' room, holding his mother's pearl necklace. Batman notices the necklace missing a pearl and asks Bruce to try and remember, was it a complete set that night? Had his mother worn the necklace while it was missing a pearl? Bruce doesn't remember. Batman assures him and says, Yes, you do. Think, reason, remember, be worthy of your parents. Be the detective that finds their killer. In response, Bruce deduces that it must have been a complete set. He tells Batman, Mother would... She wouldn't wear something... She, she was always perfect. At a bar, Batman finds a man bragging about buying a single pearl from a man for $137. By holding this man off an overpass and threatening to drop him, Batman is able to learn from him that he bought the pearl from Frank Giala. The man then begs Batman, Okay, th that's all I have. I gave you, you whatever I had. I swear, honest. And now, you won't, you won't do it, right? You promise. S say you won't do it. Say you won't d drop me. With teeth clenched, Batman replies, I won't drop you. The man screams as he is dropped from the overpass and ultimately lands in the back of a truck, allowing him to survive. Batman tracks down Frank Giala and from him learns the original source of the pearl, the killer of Thomas and Martha Wayne. This man is sitting on a train, discussing with another passenger how much he loves trains, how they have always made him feel safe. He is, of course, blissfully unaware that Batman has appeared in the window behind him. Young Bruce is visited by a smiling Jim Gordon, informing him that Batman got the killer. The killer stands trial and confesses, explaining that he was looking for money. When he pulled the gun on Thomas and Martha, before he knew it, he pulled the trigger. Young Bruce angrily watches as the man completes his monologue before the court and says, I was a coward. I was suspicious. I was nothing but that, you know? We see that this young Bruce Wayne is broken. He is inattentive in class. He can't sleep. He walks alone in the rain. He lies in the grass staring at a red sky. He looks solemnly at pictures of him with his parents. He walks alone in the snow. He can't sleep but cries instead. He stands in the alley where his parents were killed. The mayor of Gotham is an old friend of Bruce's parents and at Bruce's request, arranged for a personal meeting between him and his parents' killer. Jim Gordon escorts him and explains that he doesn't think the visit is healthy. Bruce disagrees. When they arrive at the cell, the killer extends an arm through the bars of his cell and offers an apology to Bruce. His face is one of horror as his throat is slit and his arms are sliced open by a razor Bruce managed to sneak into the cell. 
Young Bruce is pulled away by the guards, and then, for the first time this issue, we see reality. We see that the man killed was not the murderer of Bruce's parents, but was just another inmate in Gotham City's correctional facility. We see that young Bruce Wayne is not here, but in his place is a child, with the names Thomas and Martha carved into his face. We see a boy named Matthew, now fully believing himself to be Bruce Wayne. We learn that Matthew has just brutally murdered a man who was being held on a drug charge, someone with no history of violence. This isn't the first time Matthew has done this either. In the interrogation room, a correctional officer yells at Matthew, I'm tired of this. Do you know how damn tired I am of these bodies, Matthew? Of telling my bosses I can't get control of some kid. Matthew angrily replies, My name is Master Bruce, son of Thomas and Martha Wayne, who are forever dead and for whom I shall forever seek vengeance. In a conversation between two correctional officers, we learn that this is Matthew's seventh kill. Although he will be the youngest inmate and the only child held there, they decide he will be sent to Arkham Asylum, where he can be their problem, where the people he kills will deserve it. Matthew, with an expression somewhere between anger, despair, and satisfaction, says to himself, Mother, Father, I love you. I miss you so. Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, I'm here. How do you think I did uh, with my recap? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah? It was good. It pulled me in. I was thinking that I might just kind of like glance over my notes, look at my phone while you were doing it since I... I just read the comic, but uh, no, I was very focused. I really liked it. Captivated? Absolutely. All right, good. So tell me, what was your raw reaction when you finished issue 38 and you realized the twist, you know, what was going on with this kid, Matthew? Immediate reaction. What was it? Just a very kind of like disgusted feeling. Like it, it lived up to how dark I thought it would be, like especially from your intro and then just the first time I saw the cover of the issue. It just looks so creepy and dark. Uh, it really, it, it like really lived up to that once I got to the end. Yeah, well, you were reading it in the same room as me while I was watching that Chris Farley video, and you turned to me from the table and you were like, "Whoa, what?" So the twist worked. Are you imp- are you as impressed as I am? So I haven't read. It's only recently that I started reading Batman again. I was kind of on a several year hiatus reading it here and there, but you know the character's been around for sixty or so years. Are you impressed that you can still pick up an issue that came out, you know, three days ago and see something that you haven't seen from Batman before? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't even really think about that, but that's yeah. pretty amazing. So for me, uh, I'll say issue 38, the twist, the revelation that Matthew killed his own parents. That twist worked really well for me because it's the perfect kind of twist where when you go back and reread the issue, it seems super obvious. So it doesn't feel like they cheated. It was telegraphed throughout the issue. The character says several times he wants to be just like Bruce. His butler calls him Master Bruce, and they play it off as a joke. But when you read it again, you realize how kind of crazy that is. So the twist worked really well for me in issue 38. I'll say issue 61 also had a twist, right? The twist is that Matthew is now killing random people who he believes to be responsible for killing his parents, his parents being Martha and Thomas, who aren't really his parents. 
That twist didn't work as well for me because if you read that issue, it's essentially a retelling of Batman's origin, right? The parents get killed, find the guys who did it, stand trial, right? Take revenge on them. But it sort of feels like that whole story is just a way of delaying the revelation of what Matthew's up to. You could cut out the first 10 pages of issue 61 and just read the revelation and it would still make sense. Unlike issue 31, like I said, where the twist was telegraphed throughout. Now, I will say, although the twist didn't work perfectly for me, it was still a well-written issue. I was still on the edge of my seat wondering what was going on. Right? It was very strange to see Batman investigating the death of his own parents. It was interesting to see. But all that intrigue, all that interest, at the end, you have the revelation. It's all in the kid's head. How about you? How did you react to the, to the twist in issue 38 and the twist in issue 61? Yeah, so I I agree. I think the twist in issue 38 was definitely a lot better than 61 in that, right? Like, you definitely could have predicted it, right? It, it was really messed up that he would get called Master Bruce, right? And saying how badly he wants to be him. Like, very, like it's a very reasonable twist to predict. I, I disagree, though, that, like, the whole retelling of the origin story in 61 was, was kind of like filler. Because I do think there were aspects of it also that could have helped you predict the twist in some way. And I was thinking about that a lot. I think there are a lot of aspects to it where parts of the story kind of feel more like dreamlike or made up versus the real Batman origin story. And I don't know if you know more of the details there that you could add some color to, but certain aspects of it just kind of seem weird. Uh, For example, like the way that he finds that the guy's on the train, like they just showed a toy train in the room and then it leads to the big train, like the real train. That part of that's maybe like an artistic thing, but part of that just seemed like it just kind of seems silly. Actually, that is a really good point that I didn't pick up on, and I feel I feel kind of silly. This happens a lot on this podcast. Adam will point something out, and then I feel really silly about it because I did read that scene, and I say, "How did Batman realize the guy was on a train?" So what Daniel's talking about is that when Batman finds out that the pearl was spot by Frank Giala. Um, he goes to that guy, or was sold by Frank. He goes to Frank, and then Frank points him to whoever gave him the pearl. When he goes to the guy's apartment who had the pearl, the guy's not there. And Batman sees a, tr- a toy train set on the windowsill. So I guess he deduces, oh, this guy must like trains. Cut to the guy sitting on a train talking about how much he likes trains. So, yeah, that was a clue that this was being invented by a child. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I think the other hint he used was you could see a mark on the on the ground coming from the bed that made it look like a suitcase had gone by. So that's like that's like one sign at least the guy had skipped town. But also his apartment being empty and him having just committed a crime, kind of obviously he's going to skip town, right? So yeah, him deducing the train, pretty silly. Uh, the other aspect, right, like Batman also behaving a little out of character, I think, right? Like throwing the guy onto the truck on the highway. I don't know, it seems a bit brutal for Batman to do. Maybe not. He he sometimes crosses that line and can get pretty brutal. Uh, he I will say in the current run of Batman, he's in a mode where he's very angry and he's acting. V- he is being very brutal towards his uh, towards his uh, his enemies. Um, but it's unclear when exactly this takes place, and you know it's all in the mind of this child anyway. But uh, unclear to me whether or not the brutality of Batman here would be considered you know sort of crossing the line. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and just the last thing I was going to point out about how I think leading up to the twist was like pretty good in the issue was right. Obviously just Batman investigating his parents' death with the young Bruce Wayne still around. Like obviously something to that is weird. Something doesn't make sense. And so it's building up to you expecting some kind of twist. Right. Uh, and so I think people could have predicted right that it turned out it was in Matthew's head. Right. Obviously if you read the issue, like issue 38 a while ago, uh, you, you, your mind might not jump to that, but right. Like they're pretty obviously tied together going through that origin story. So yeah, I, I thought it was pretty, pretty good the way they built up to that. Yeah. It's also really a creative idea. I don't think I've ever seen a telling of of this story where you see Batman investigating his own parents' uh, murder. You know, at the t- de- interacting with himself as a young child. We've never seen that scenario before, which to me almost makes me wish I, I saw something more interesting come out of that. But ultimately, it's in the mind of this child Matthew, and we can't really expect Matthew to tell us something new or interesting about Bruce Wayne. So it wouldn't wouldn't have made a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I think I think the story still does tell something interesting about Bruce Wayne, right? And like the the parallel between Bruce Wayne and this kid Matthew, right? Uh, it, it shows kind of this like conflict between I think like vengeance and justice, right? It's like the two different paths that Bruce Wayne could have taken in his life. And you had actually made an error during the recording of this that I think illustrates that you read one of Matthew's lines where he says how his parents are dead forever. And so he's going to seek, and you accidentally said justice, when actually he said he'll seek vengeance forever. That's funny. And I think that really shows, like, the difference between the two characters, right? And, like, justice drives him to be this hero. Vengeance drives Matthew crazy, right? Obviously, he's already crazy, but I think that parallel really exists. Yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you, and you sort of answered it already, is what does this issue say about Batman? Because this is part one of the Nightmares story arc, and Tom King says he wants Nightmares to scrape at the soul of Batman. So I think all of these issues, although they're not continuing the current narrative, we took a break in the middle of that cliffhanger, these are supposed to be saying something about Batman. And you touched touched on it already. I think this is supposed to make Bruce sort of question his motivation make him feel like his cause is less noble, that really it's all personal, it's tied into the death of his parents, it's vengeance rather than justice. And I'm guessing that each issue of this arc will rattle him in some way. Uh, and, uh, and I think that was kind of, that's the button they're trying to press here. Uh, what else, anything else that jumped out in you in this issue? Any just sort of reactions you had as you read it? Well, yeah, I mean, one, one thing that just kind of drove me crazy in this issue, and I, I've been dying to bring it up, is, is the number thing. The, the body's being positioned as 11-11, like on a clock. Right. And that, that leads to 2 uh, 2 2 2 So he finds all of those addresses. Uh, that, that I already thought was ridiculous. But then when Bruce Wayne comments, but wait a minute, 2 2 2 2 adds up to 8. And 8 is the same thing as 2 to the 3rd. And Two-Face would never allow a 3 until one of his... <laughs> I I laughed out loud when I read that. It's that's hilarious, and it it did make me kind of start to drive myself a little bit nuts because I was like, you could do that with any number, any number you could find a way to work a three or an odd number into it. So it just made me more respect to Two Face that he has to he has to get his calculator and spreadsheet out every time he commits a crime, and he just tries to deduce. Is there any way that you can tie this? It's got to be a prime number, you know. It's yeah, so I, I love that, and uh, 
yeah, a little bit absurd, but but uh, entertaining. So I, I I had another another thought about this. I just wanted to ask you about it. Uh, in in like the real Bruce Wayne origin story, and there's there's probably like a lot of versions of mm-hmm. it. I guess. Uh, does the real Bruce Wayne ever go and visit his killer, like for like or his parents' killer, for like a face to face meeting outside of like that court case? You're trying to make me seem uh, not not you know not very knowledgeable on uh, comics. Uh, I I don't know honestly. I, I'm I'm assuming that there've been versions of the origin where he faces his killer, uh, but we'll have to do research on that. And, and I don't know what what if they've touched on it in this current run of Batman. You know what the current mythology is. Uh, would you be interested in seeing more of this kid? We've seen him in two issues now. Uh, the second issue sort of evolved him a little bit. Right At first, kills his own parents to set himself up to be Bruce Wayne. The next evolution is that he's now killing random people, thinking they're the murderer of his parents. Would you want to see a third issue about him? Yeah, I think I think there's probably a lot of cool things you could do with him, right? Just <laughs> in this kind of like parallel to, Bat, uh, to Bruce Wayne type mm-hmm. storyline. My, my only worry is that both issues now have had a twist. Do they now feel pressured like every time this kid shows up? It's got to be an issue of uh, what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And then you have to have some new revelation of uh, another evolution to the character. You know, we'll see. As of now, I don't think they've announced any plans for him to come back. The next issue, Nightmares Part 2, will be about Professor Pig. And then after that, we've got Constantine. So that means there'll be demons and other kind of supernatural things. Flash will show up after that. So if we do see him again, it'll be a little while. Uh, I'll say I wouldn't, I'm not dying to see more of him. It doesn't feel like there's, the way he's set up right now, what more do we need to know about him? Right? He kind of made the statement, showed us the, put the mirror in front of Bruce Wayne, made him question his motivations. If they brought him back, it would have to be more than just, oh, he's still killing people thinking they're the people that killed his parents. Right, they'd have to find some new way to grow this character, some further depth. Um, but we'll see. I'd be curious if he comes back again. Yeah, he could like recreate other villains too, right? Like like living out Batman's life, right? He could like recreate the Joker. So that he he, he won't against the Joker. Like, there's like cool things like that. Wait, after, he doesn't know. I mean, I don't think he knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. He, he's Bruce Wayne is known for fighting for Gotham, but he just doesn't do it as a vigilante. Interesting. The whole time I read this comic assuming he knew Bruce Wayne is Batman, right? But I guess he never explicitly says anything like that. Yeah, and in the issue 61, um, the, the reason that Matthew is able to imagine Batman investigating the death of Bruce Wayne's parents is because that Matthew thinks that Bruce and Batman are two different people. So that could be the evolution here. Maybe... He does, maybe Matthew does such a good job of getting in Bruce Wayne's head, he realizes that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Kind of like how in The Dark Knight Rises, the movie, uh, what's the name of that actor from Third Rock from the Sun? You know, the, uh, the guy who plays John Blake, a.k.a. Robin? Oh, yeah, he realizes that Bruce Wayne's Batman because of his experience like as an orphan himself. Yeah, it's like, right? you're an orphan, I'm an orphan, and I was able to look into your eyes. And I knew you were Batman. I don't think that sounds like him at all. Not at all, no. (laughs) (laughs) But if if that guy, John Blake, can do it, I don't even think that's his name. John Blake is a poet. The act, well, the actor was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Were you trying to remember the actor or the character's name? uh, The actor. (laughs) I mean, character. (laughs) 
if Joseph Lord, if Joseph Gordon Levitt can do it just because they're both orphans, then Matthew not only is he an orphan, but he literally believes he's Bruce Wayne. If he can figure out that Wayne is Batman, that could be the next evolution of this character. And then you could see him being like, "I need my own Joker," and he's like, cuts someone's mouth open to turn them into the Joker, starts recreating villains. Hey, hopefully the writers are listening to us and uh, taking some of these, taking some notes, taking these ideas down. Uh, one one other reaction I had reading this is this might be a little bit of social commentary on how oftentimes we read stories, we watch movies, and we idolize or look at the main characters as role models, even though arguably you shouldn't in some cases. For example, I read Batman and I think I want to be Batman. But what does it mean when you say that? You're saying, I want to suffer tragedy and then have a righteous cause to fight for. You think the same thing when you watch 24, you want to be Jack Bauer or uh, well, any number, any one of these kind of anti-heroes. You feel like you want to be those characters when in reality they're written as very broken down, messed up human beings. And maybe this is Tom King. I don't know if he's trying to make it. That's the writer of it, in case you weren't familiar. Daniel's nodding his head. Uh, may, I don't know if he's trying to say anything about that, but I wouldn't be shocked if he was playing off that idea a little bit. I don't know if you thought about that at all or if you have any reactions to that idea. No, I didn't, but it's, it's an interesting point because it's something that comes up like all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you watch like a World War II movie or something and you're like really jealous of the the like people like in the front lines, right? Which is different, right? They're They're not like broken characters, but in the same way, like, they're going through these like horrible things and you're like envious of it for some reason. Yeah, you're envious of the of having something to fight for. Or you watch Spider-Man, you go home and you you know uh, dump a bunch of spiders on you and you're like bite me. I want powers. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll say, you know, do we want to see this character again? We had a few we tossed a few ideas around. We'd be interested to see see him show up again in general i'll say on the nightmares arc for what we what we expect to see next it like i said it seems like each of these issues will rattle batman in some way and what i'm hoping for is that ultimately he's triumphant i mean we know he will be physically you put a bad guy in front of him he'll stop them but matthew's in a cell he's in arkham probably means he won't be there very long arkham is like a revolving door of, uh, of villains they even commented in this issue that two-face was in there and got out a few weeks ago so you know i'm sure matthew will won't be there forever um but batman will be triumphant physically in the end he'll beat the villain i want him to win psychologically too though i think happiness is too much to ask for but i want him to achieve certainty that he's good that he's right and that ultimately he is fighting a noble fight because I think that's where he's getting hit right now. He doesn't know if he's doing the right thing. He's questioning his motivation. I want to see him win, beat the bad guy, and get get back to feeling comfortable being Batman. You agree? 100%. All right, we talking about Scooby-Doo now? Let's do it. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with some Scooby Snacks. The last issue of Scooby Apocalypse ended with the gang locked inside the safe zone of an underground complex after the apparent activation of a nanite plague. Issue 2 picks up moments later. Velma announces to the gang that the locks keeping them inside the safe zone should now be neutralized. 
they work together to force the door open and take their first steps out of the safe zone. The gang is excited that the door begins to open, but Fred warns them, Let's hope that's a good thing. The gang has no idea what to expect as they emerge from the safe zone. Daphne fears that the nanites have transformed humanity into docile slaves, while Velma assures them that it may have been a false alarm, a glitch. This hope is quickly crushed as Velma discovers her co-worker Kramer has been transformed into a grotesque monster. He leaps towards her as she shrieks, Jinkies! and runs away, seemingly abandoning the rest of the group. Scooby defends them by leaping onto the monster and buying them time to run away. A second monster attacks the first, preoccupying them with a fight, allowing Scooby to escape with the rest of the gang. Velma returns with a weapon in her hand, a fire extinguisher. When Daphne confronts Velma for running away, abandoning the rest of them, she explains that the monster they fought was Eric Kramer, her friend. She says, Or at least the closest to it a person like me can ever get. We used to play chess together during lunch and, well, when I saw him like that, I just panicked. Shaggy defends Velma's character to the rest of the gang, but their quibbling is interrupted when they look at the security monitor and see the hallway flooded with monsters, some of which are feeding on human beings. Shaggy's reaction to this is, Zoinks! Daphne asks, Zoinks, is that anything like Jinkies? Returning to the matter at hand, Velma explains that although most workers in the complex had been infected, not all of them were, and as Daphne puts it, They've been eaten. Velma takes charge, but now we need to find a path up to the surface. People must be warned. She leads them to a closet of rifles and arms the gang. Shaggy suggests they escape through the garage. As they make their way there, he finds his co-worker Becky, who has also been grotesquely transformed. Give us a little kiss, darling. I've seen the way you look at me in the break room, and I know what nasty little thoughts have been crawling around in that teeny, tiny brain of you. She's cut off as Velma hits her in the back of the head, and Scooby leaps on top of her. But the monster Becky gets the upper hand, and just as she is about to bite into Scooby, Daphne shoots her in the neck, killing her. Shaggy is in shock. That, that was Becky Davis! She worked with me in animal control. Single mother with a two-year-old kid. She was smart. She was kind. That was Becky Davis. And you killed her. Fred defends Daphne. That wasn't her, Shaggy. That was a thing. A monster. Uh. But even Daphne is struck with horror as she shrieks. A human being. Not a deer on a hunting trip. A human being. And I blew her apart. As Velma tries to justify Daphne's actions, Daphne smacks Velma. You did this! You and those four lunatics you work for! Their argument is interrupted as Shaggy opens a ventilation shaft, explaining that it leads to the garage. They rush inside as Fred fires at the approaching monsters. They crawl through the dark vents, in which, on a normal day, Shaggy might be found taking a nap or snacking with Scooby. They emerge in the garage, 
and before them is an armored van, known as the Mystery Machine, a project led by a scientist named Krebs. As they discover Krebs' dead body, they find themselves surrounded by monsters. The gang is in terror. Scooby, Daphne, Velma, and Shaggy respond with their signature exclamations. Ruh-roh! Jeepers! Jinkies! Zoinks! Is that a wrap? Very solid work. <laughs>